You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with the heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Uh, Lord, thanks for your goodness and your loving kindness, and thank you for uh, new beginnings, new year. And God, I pray um, for your blessing on this class. Pray that you would speak. Ask the prayers in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so um, let's see here. Uh, this is the beginning of, uh, if you're, if you're new, if you're, if you're visiting, you've never come to this class before. This class is called Faith and Family. Uh, big part of our, um, kind of, uh, ethos and values of church is, is we really believe that, um, we really value the spiritual development of the kids. We want to see kids have a sustainable faith in Christ that, you know, goes beyond high school. And, uh, the Bible tells us that that's a cooperation of both the family and the church. And so we believe it's, um, our responsibility to do as much as we can to educate, equip, and encourage parents and how to spiritually invest in your kids' lives. And so that's what we do here uh, in Faith and Family um, every Sunday. So these, the first two, um, the, uh, t- talk about a zinger of a title for classes. <laughs> um, the, uh, I used to be in sales, right? Um, the best thing you can do for your kid. So that's the title of this class. We're doing it two weeks in a row. I'm teaching, teaching this weekend next week. And so um, so this this week is the best thing you can do for your child is to find satisfaction and contentment in Christ. Um, that's, um, that's, that's, that's number one. So we're going to talk about why is it that the best thing you can do for your child is to find contentment and satisfaction in a relationship with Christ. Um, and so I want to start out and um, with a you know, story. Um, and I was, uh, I was sitting outside the summit. Uh, I was sitting outside the anthropology at the summit. Uh, it was cold, cold, rainy day. Uh, I think I'd finished a Bible study that ended at like 8. I knew I needed to get a gift for Lauren. Anthropology always has such cute things. Um, you know, the $150 t-shirt. And, no. um, go, to the, go to the back room, you know, the sales room. We, know, we, we all know where that is. Anyhow, but they do. It's great. Love, love, love anthropology. Um, anyhow, so I was sitting in the car. I had 10 minutes, and I just had nothing to do. I was just sitting. Um, and I, I kind of asked myself this question. I was like, am I happy? You know, am I happy? And uh, just a light question. And so it was, a, it was a season of life where I would say, like, I was not necessarily happy, but I was, I was content. And so then the next, you know, philosophical question here at the Summit Outside the Anthropology um, was, well, what do I want more? You know, to be content or to be happy? And I was like, I'm, you know, the, the, like, the sadness or the difficulty I was experiencing was like actually like a, not, I don't want to say it was a good thing, but I mean, it was a reasonable, constructive thing. Um, and uh, it was a sobering thing in a good way. And so I was kind of like, ah, I think what I'm really after more in life is to be content and satisfied than I am necessarily to be happy. Um, that's not to say happiness is a good thing. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a gift from the Lord. Happiness, you know, when we kind of think about it in, in like English terminology is more circumstantially dependent, right? You know, if, um, if something good happens, we're happy. Or if we go to a concert that we really enjoy or a show we really enjoy, we're happy. If our team wins a game, we're happy. But that's usually kind of fleeting. You know, it's, uh, it's usually fleeting. It's not very sustainable. And it's also circumstantially dependent. You know, happiness, Things have got to be kind of going your way to be happy. Whereas being content and satisfied, your circumstances can be terrible. But you can actually, in your inner life, uh, be content and satisfied. And so, um, you know, the premise of what we're going to talk about here is that uh, this is the reality of, of parents. 
like what drives us with our kids is wanting our kids to be, we would articulate to say happy. That's what we really want for our kids. Um, but what I would argue is what we really want for our kids is for our kids to be satisfied. You know, all of the different kind of sacrifices we make, all the different things we try to get our kids involved with, all the different things that we try to cultivate in our households and our relationship with our kid is because we want our kids to be satisfied. Like it doesn't matter how twisted or how dark or unethical or immoral a parent may be. Like pretty much, other than like a sociopath, 99.9% of parents really want their children to be satisfied. And so what you find is that what you, what you believe will satisfy you is what you believe will satisfy your kid. And so where you find your satisfaction, what drives your pursuit of satisfaction, which I would argue is really what we're all after, that's the motivator of all human behavior, is to have a satisfied heart, you're totally fine, um, is, um, is to find satisfaction. Uh, and I think you know, the, the word that, Paul, sorry, that John uses um, is, he uses the word life, um, zoe. And, uh, and, and you know, this zoe in Greek is this kind of comp, uh, all-encompassing word uh, that means this overall sense of well-being. You're content. You're at peace. You're hopeful. You, you feel you have a sense of meaning. And actually, it's kind of the, the word that correlates with shalom in, um, in Hebrew. Shalom in Hebrew um, is uh, shalom in Hebrew is to have this sense of peace and contentment in all of your relationships. Relationship with God, relationship with other people, relationship with yourself, and relationship with the created world. So, um, so with that being said, um, when we as parents find our satisfaction in Christ, well, that's and believe that that's actually what's going to satisfy us. Well, that that is just organically going to translate over into the way we parent our kids. Um, and so that's kind of what we're going to talk about today. We're going to look in. Um, uh, we're going to look in John 6, 22 through 40. Uh, and if you don't have the handout, I think I've got a few more. If, if you need a handout here, I'll put them on this seat. Um, feel free to walk on up and grab it. And so what Jesus is going to, what Jesus says is, um, what Jesus says is, you will find your satisfaction in Christ. You will find your satisfaction in me. That's, that's Jesus' unsolicited, very clear, um, uh, you know, uh, communication in this text. So, so John 6, 22 through 40 um, is, uh, to give you a little bit of context, this is a couple of stories after Jesus has, tur- has fed thousands of people, has turned you know, a couple of loaves and a couple of fish uh, into you know, enough to feed a, a host of thousands of people. Uh, the next story before that, Jesus um, walks across the water. Uh, you know, the, 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 they're, they're, they're leaving Tiberias and the, they're rowing and out of nowhere comes Jesus across the water uh, to meet the, the disciples in their boat. And so one other thing I would say is, um, not to get t- too, uh, too seminary-ish, but um, one of the big things that John is doing in his gospel is he is presenting Jesus as the new Israel. So going back to the Old Testament, Israel was meant to be this representative of Yahweh, God of the Old Testament, and they were meant to draw uh, all the nations to the knowledge of and relationship with and worship and service of Yahweh, the God, the God of the Bible, and uh, and it fails. It just doesn't. It just that just not does not work out. That's not to say that Jesus is a Plan B, like this. Was, Jesus was always always in the plans, but but you know, God's intent to bring people to life in God 
through his people does not work. Uh, and so you see, uh, as you'll see in this, Jesus you know, talks about how he is the bread of life. And, uh, you know, he, he, he's, he's basically you're seeing Jesus presents himself um, as like God's new way. Um, hence the new covenant. And so you see this transition in Isaiah, uh, which I preach on next week, that um, there's this transition where the old servant used to be Israel, now the new servant is Jesus. Jesus is the one who brings people to life in God. All right, so let's get started, verse 22. So it says, On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with the disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. Okay, so a couple of interesting things here. Um, it's going to say that the, you know, the next place they land um, is Capernaum. That's where they set out for. Um, and so a couple of things. Does it indicate that they know where Jesus is? Do they know, like, oh, we got word that Jesus has headed to Capernaum, and we're going to go there now? No, they don't. They're what are they doing? They're kind of guessing, right? They're kind of guessing. Oh, Jesus was here in Tiberias. Um, Capernaum was like a trade center. Uh, it was a big. Uh, there was a Roman tax booth or tax collection place there. Um, and so it was kind of like a, the next big city. So it was a good guess, but they don't really know. All right. So now let's think about what they're doing. It's about a seven to nine mile journey by boat. Uh, and so they're going to row seven to nine miles across the sea. Uh, and this, you know, in this geography, the winds can be unpredictable and kind of turbulent. So there's a little bit of danger, but I mean, let's think about that. Rowing seven to nine miles, like that's a long way. Okay, to go somewhere where you don't necessarily know if Jesus is going to be. So that tells you that they really want Jesus. Like Jesus, in the previous stories where he had turned the bread, um, you know, had, had, had fed thousands of people through this small amount of bread and fish, uh, and Jesus had preached, like they got something from Jesus that was worth taking a risk on, that was worth sacrificing for, um, that was worth kind of endangering themselves for, but definitely... You know, it's kind of like, huh, I heard Jesus may be in um, Raleigh, North Carolina. Let's go drive to Raleigh and see if he's there. Like, that's a, that's a trip. Um, and so anyhow, so that's the first thing. Second thing is Tiberias, where they were, um, was an intellectual center. It was an academic center. So it would be like a place like Boston. You know, Boston has tons and tons of universities. That's where MIT is. That's where Harvard is. And, and, uh, and so it's like if you needed intellectual answers, like Tiberius would be the place to go. Uh, and yet they're leaving Tiberius to find, you know, to, to find something because their heart has been satisfied. Um, there, there's nothing intellectual that they were going to... If they wanted something intellectual, they could have found it in Tiberius, but their heart was satisfied and so they, um, so they hit the road. And so one thing to think about here, too, when you think about your kids' behavior, especially when your kids get to be teenagers, is um, just how like desperate, desperate kids are in particular to be satisfied. Like think of all the things that they do that are really, really desperate. Um, you think about like fashion experiments, where like, oh, why are we wearing that? You know, 
but you know, really desperate to be known. Or you think about on a darker level, you know, when kids send out inappropriate pictures, you know, so desperate for connection and to be seen. And you know, there, it, uh, you know, that that's a sign of desperation. Um, you know, kids who who engage in cutting, you know, so desperate to feel something, to have some kind of stimulation that they cut themselves. Um, you know, kids who make really dangerous decisions with substances to get into a group, desperate for a sense of connection. And so, and that desperation is to find a sense of satisfaction in their heart. And so, um, you know, the, 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 you can see there is, uh, I don't know if I, I you, you kind of could call this journey a little bit of a desperate journey. Because like I said, a lot of sacrifice, fair amount of danger, um, a lot of energy, and you don't really even know Jesus is going to be there. All right, so. Uh, going to verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, uh, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, Truly I say to you, you are, truly, truly I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. All right, so first off, um, notice the question they ask and the answer that Jesus doesn't give, right? They ask him, uh, they say, you know, when did you come here? And Jesus does not say yesterday, you know? He just, he doesn't answer that question. He comes back and he says, um, look, you're seeking me, but not because of the signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves, like you were satisfied by what you ate. Uh, it's interesting, uh, Steve Jobs, who's the, you know, one of the founder and CEO of, of Apple, um, he's one of, this is a profound statement, he said, I'm not interested in learning about what my customers think they need. I'm interested in telling them what they need. I'm interested in defining for them what they need. And so you can see here, um, Jesus doesn't say to them, like, hey, what can I do for you? Uh, he says, I know what you need. And, and, and you don't know what you need. I know what you need. And I'm going to tell you what you need. And so he says, you're not coming here because you saw me do this incredible miracle. Uh, you're here because you are satisfied in your heart. And so again, he's kind of echoing what we said about this, the pursuit of satisfaction and what is what drives human behavior. Um, I satisfied your need. That's why you're interested in me. Um, and that's, you know, that's really the question that I'm going to answer here today, even though you're not even really necessarily aware of it. And that's, that's important to know because I'd say most of us, uh, it's not like we are, we, we are, because of like our sinful nature, um, we really are very rarely aware that what we really need, what we're really seeking is satisfaction and that that satisfaction will be found in Christ, you know? Um, yeah, and so with that being said, uh, Jesus offers this moment of clarity. Um, and man, I'll tell you, as, as much as we are not aware <laughs> of what drives our behavior, uh, our children are definitely not aware of what drives their behavior, right? Like they just don't have the metacognitive ability to do the kind of introspection to be like, hmm, why is it that I'm on my phone four hours a day? You know, why is it that I'm binging on video games? You know, why is it that I'm so neurotic about certain things? They, they, they just, they're not there. And so that's part of what we do as parents is help kids develop those tools to kind of be introspective about why am I doing this? What am I seeking? What am I truly seeking? Um, all right. So, um, continuing on here, um, uh, well, sorry, let me say this. Satisfaction of a perceived need is what drives your parenting. Uh, yes, I love these. These are some doozy of stories. Um, I can remember um, 
a parent, this is a long time ago. This is real. I'm not just saying that because someone could be in the room. This is le- all these stories are legitimately from a long time ago. Um, all right, so I can remember this one parent who did not go to our church telling me that like her strategy for parenting her teenage boy was to keep him so busy that he couldn't get into trouble. Okay, so let's un- let's unpack that. You know, um, first off, not a winning strategy. <laughs> There's always time for trouble. <laughs> all right. <laughs> um, Secondly, you know, what, what was her thinking about, you know, what would satisfy or not satisfy? Uh, well, she was thinking that if he made bad choices or if he got into trouble, like that would be dissatisfying. So to keep him so busy that he could not make bad choices was um, the, you know, was her thing. Here's another one. Ooh, mm, painful. This is from growing up. Um, I knew, uh, I had a, a girl who was a friend of mine in high school and her, um, her mom would would like basically let her daughters spend unimaginable amounts of money on their appearance, clothes, whatever. And they had a, normally had like you know a 10 o'clock or 10:30 curfew, whatever it was. But if they were out with a boy, they had no curfew at all. I know, totally right. <laughs> I know everyone's like, isn't that upside down? <laughs> And I can remember just, you know, being over at their house and the mom would always be talking about the term marriage material. You know, uh, had several daughters and, oh, that boy, he's good marriage material. Like in 10th grade, you know. <laughs> um, not that I haven't already kind of set up my children with, you know, perceived good, good spouses, right? Um, I may have even actually uh, said that last week. Ooh, so-and-so. I could see Mary Matthews with so-and-so. No, anyhow. Um, but you could see that, like, what, what was it that the mom thought would satisfy her daughters? You know, to, to have a boyfriend and to find a husband. Uh, and, and that was like very clearly communicated in her actions. Now she may not have been, you know, had been able to articulate that, but that's, that was what, you know, was driving her parenting and what she thought would satisfy her daughters was getting married and having a good husband, good marriage material. So anyhow, um, just a little example there. All right, so going on to verse 27. Jesus says, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who, believe in him whom he has sent. Okay, so you can see there are kind of natural, two natural pursuits. Um, of satisfaction. The first is in the world. Jesus says, do not pursue food that perishes. So, uh, you know, this would be basically uh, to, to find ultimate satisfaction in worldly things. Now, we need to be clear, like there are things in the world that are really, sat- that are satisfying and that are blessings that are good. They're, they're from God. Um, the problem is when we make them ultimate things. Um, you know, when we think that, you know, if my child is a really great athlete or if my child um, is uh, really successful or has really good grades or has a nice husband or a nice uh, wife, um, then that will ultimately satisfy them. Because uh, we can see those things as blessings. Certainly this, you know, certainly there's, there gra- it's gratifying to be successful and to be a good athlete and um, to have friends and to have a nice marriage. Those, those are good, gratifying blessings from God. But when we think that those things will ultimately satisfy us, that's when we create problems because they won't satisfy us. And the tail starts to wag the dog. And so notice that he says that the, the, the you know, satisfaction in the world at the horizontal level, um, that it perishes. It's not sustainable. 
Like it, it's it's kind of cotton candy. Um, and uh, and he says, do not work for this this food. Uh, and and so with that being said, the way that satisfaction in the world works is first off, it's something in the world. Secondly, it does, it's not very sustainable. Uh, thirdly, it comes out of our performance. You know, and, and I, we all fall into this trap all the time. I am so in this trap right now. I have a big week ahead of me. I have a bunch of different things to prepare. Um, and, um, and I've kind of got this mindset of like, okay, if I can like get that sermon prepared and get that talk prepared and get those things prepared and get that prepared and learn 20 catechism questions for my exam this week, Monday, I'm going to feel so good, right? It's always deferred. It's always, you know, we're, um, satisfaction in the world is usually deferred. Um, and it's usually comes out of our performance. And so I have this mentality right now of if I can get these things done, I'm going to feel really, really good. Um, whereas, look at um, what Jesus says about satisfaction in Christ. He says that it endures to eternal life. So it's lasting. Like it has staying powder. It, it's, it's more like eating a square meal than eating cotton candy for dinner. Um, and, uh, and then he says that which the, the Son of Man will give to you. Satisfaction in Christ is given to us. And they say, well, what do we need to do? What do we need to do? And he says, you need to receive it. The work of God is this, believe on the one who was sent. Um, and so, so with that being said, uh, when I was preparing this lesson this morning and realizing how much I was seeking my satisfaction and getting things done, I was like, okay, like, I need to repent. You know, I need to repent. And I need to receive the presence of the Lord. Uh, I need to receive the reality of the gospel, that, um, that I'm perfectly loved and that Christ dwells in me and that God is the king of my life right now. And, um, and, I, and I, I, I need to find contentment and satisfaction. I, 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 have, I can have a sense of satisfaction and contentment here and now. Um, not Monday when I've gotten everything done, but right now by stopping and receiving and trusting um, the goodness of Christ in my life and in my heart. And so with that being said, part of the reason, um, part of the reason that we ourselves want to first seek our satisfaction in Christ is because um, it's a here and now thing. Like it, it's, 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 more, it's, it's more satisfying here and now, um, but also it makes those other things in life more gratifying. You know, like the blessings of this life that God gives us are more satisfying when we have them in proper perspective and, and have proper expectations of what they actually are relative to the satisfaction we find in Christ. So, um, and so for our kids, you know, I always say that, um, uh, I had a mentor and this is what he'd say, that, you know, the most, what we want for our kids is the most abundant life possible with the least regret. <laughs> and the most abundant life possible is found in Christ. Um, I, I just can't, it's just so sad for me to see so many of our kids and they just have this like total deferred sense of satisfaction. Now, let me say this. Deferred gratification is a great thing. Um, that, that in terms of like well-adjusted, not going to prison, successful people, uh, they find that kids who have a sense of deferred gratification, um, they, they tend to be much more well-adjusted, much more successful in life, much more content. Um, so don't, don't hear me wrong here. Um, but I'll say that I just listened to a kid and they, they, they were, they, um, they're talking about like, how's your Christmas? And what are you looking forward to, you know, this semester? And the child said, I'm looking forward to, it's only one semester until summer. 
you know, what does that say about the child's sense of like uh, hopefulness about the next five months? So depressing. But I mean, I totally felt that way in high school. You know, you just like work to get to summer and you work to get to Christmas break. And like God has so much more on, on offer for us than that. Uh, he has so much more on offer for our kids than that. That, um, you know, the idea that like I'm generally not going to be satisfied and content or happy until summer. Um, that is, that's just not a, that's not a, a mentality that's consistent with the gospel. Because the gospel says you can be content here and now, irrespective um, of your circumstances. And so, um, so anyhow, that, that's just so much of why we want that for our kids. All right, so going on to verse 30. They said to him, uh, good, okay, good time. All right, so they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the man in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Guys, what did Jesus? What did they just see Jesus do? They just saw Jesus feed a gazillion people with like, you know, uh, a little uh, lunchbox of food. And they're like, just give us one more sign, Jesus. And so, you know, this is such a sign that it, it's... Um, there are there are you know intellectual proofs and, and apologetics for the Christian faith, um, but generally what's really going to convince you is to to open up your heart to Jesus and to allow yourself to be satisfied in a relationship with Him, to trust your life to Jesus, and to see um, Jesus give you a sense of contentment in your heart. That that's really the most convincing thing, um, in addition to those intellectual things. And so um, so Jesus said to them, "Truly I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven." But my Father who gives you the bread from heaven, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And so, so Jesus said, said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So Jesus is saying, you know, this is a provocative statement. Like, I am the bread of heaven. And so going back to the Old Testament, like they were in the desert, there was no food for them. And what is it that God did? He provided manna. He provided bread from the sky. Uh, and he provided, um, you know, uh, water miraculously. So he, he satisfied, their, satisfied their physical need. And so now Jesus is kind of making this analogy where he's talking about their existential need, the need of their heart. You know, like we live in a world that is a desert. There's really not much that's truly satisfying in the world. And yet Jesus says, I'm the bread for your heart. Like, I'm the thing that satisfies that deep, as Zach said in the sermon, great, great sermon this morning um, in the nave. Um, he satisfies the appetite of your heart. That use, the, that word that Zach used of appetite was so, so good. Um, the appetite we have for satisfaction, Jesus says, I'm it. Um, so Jesus said to them, I'm the bread of life. Whoever, who, whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So basically, I satisfy the appetite of your heart. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So he's saying, this is the will of God, and this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, and raise it up in the last day. So basically that, that, that um, I should save God's people and bring them to eternal life in heaven. For this is the will of my Father that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I shall raise him up on the last day. Isn't that amazing? Like, so often we have this view, a concept of God, 
as he's this, you know, disappointed, cold father up there who's just like taking away all our fun, making all these rules, waiting for us to screw up. And what is it he says? He says the will of the father is that we would have eternal life and I will raise them up on the last day. And when he says, believes in me should have eternal life, that is a here and now thing. That is a satisfaction in this life thing. John speaks to both. When John talks about eternal life, he's not just talking about eternal life in heaven. John is talking about eternal life now. Eternal life in, in, in the way that Jesus is portrayed in John starts here and now when you enter into relationship with Jesus. Uh, now, obviously, that is kind of um, hampered a little bit by the fact that we still live in the earth and we're still sinners, and obviously that eternal life will be uh, consummated and you know, culminated in heaven in a, in a way that's you know, even greater than this. But he's saying... Like eternal life, that's a taste of eternal life um, that you'll have in heaven starts here and now in relationship with me. And I will raise him up on the last day. He's talking about eternal life in heaven and the second coming of Christ. So, so that being said, um, this is, this is very, very direct. The will of God the Father is that you would have a satisfied soul. And I am the mechanism that God the Father has provided for the satisfaction of your soul. I bring you into the life that God offers. Um, in relationship with him, uh, the, 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 the life that we anticipate in heaven. And so um, to land the plane, uh, just a couple takeaways here. Some of this is just going to be reiterating stuff. But um, first, uh, why is it that you finding your satisfaction in Christ is the best thing you can do for your children? All right, first thing is the more content we are, the, the better parents we tend to be. Right, And we all know when we're in a bad mood, we've had a bad day, and we come home and we've kind of got that monologue going in our head and these resentments and we're frustrated, you know, and, and we're grumpy. It's just it's so hard to like turn that off when you walk through the door or when the kids get home from school or you pick them up wherever. And it's just, it's just a reality and it's humbling for me to admit just how often I project my dissatisfaction on my kids. You know, how, it, how often it is when like me being short with them or me like they want to play and I just like don't have time or, you know, me being kind of like losing my temper with them it has nothing to do with them, it has everything to do with me and my own inner life. And so I find that when I am satisfied in Christ, uh, I tend, and this is just, this is a biblical reality, I tend to more bear the fruit of the spirit um, because, you know, when... Yeah, for the fruit of the spirit is like when we are walking in the spirit, we are you know walking in independent, intimate relationship with God. Uh, then we tend to be more peaceful, joyful, uh, hopeful, good, faithful, self-controlled. Um, oh, come on, Big C, bring it home. Gentle and patient. There we go. Um, you're a paid Christian. You got to know this. Uh, but anyhow, right? <laughs> As a uh, as a parent, I mean, what are the things we desperately need? We desperately need patience. We desperately need kindness. Um, we desperately need a, p- a sense of peace. We really need self-control, right? And those things flow out of being close to the Lord. So when we're satisfied in our relationship with Christ, we're just going to be a better parent. Um, so that that's number one. Secondly, methodology drives theology. Um, so I'm trying to think about how to say this in a non-judgy way. 
So I'm just going to say it and know that I don't mean to be judgy. Uh, but basically, um, I'll say one of the more awkward things when you work at a church is when you're at like the grocery store or out in public and you see someone from the church and they're like, we haven't been there in so long. <laughs> our, our attendance is so bad. And you, they like want to crawl up into the shelf of the oatmeal, you know, aisle at the Publix. And I'm like, yo, like I'm not taking attendance. Uh, it's okay. Um, but you know, some of these like religious things that we'd kind of like to be a part of our family, um, like going to church regularly or praying with our kids or maybe getting out the Bible or getting out a devotional and reading that at the breakfast table. You know, these kind of like things we aspire to, but eh, don't necessarily happen terribly consistently. Well, like generally when you're finding your satisfaction in Christ, you're going to be far more motivated. Um, to, to like implement those things in your life, you know, like, why is it that, uh, even though I get paid to be here on Sundays, um, why is it that I really want my kids to go to church? It's because I've found my relationship with Christ to be the most satisfying thing in my life. It, it is, it is the best thing I have. And while the way I live my life doesn't always reflect that because I'm a sinner and I have so many idols that I'm a slave to, uh, but in reality, like deep down inside, the more satisfied I come, I am with Christ, the more I see like, holy cow, what would I do without Jesus in my life? Like, how would I make these kind of decisions? How would I navigate these kind of difficulties? Well, the more I want that for my kids. Like what, what we find satisfies us, what we believe will satisfy us, is what we're going to inherently and organically hand down to our kids. And so with that being said, in terms of like the, you know, the um, religious practice or spiritual practice of our house, the more we find our satisfaction in Christ, the more it's just organically going to happen that we'll implement those things because we found satisfaction in them and we want our children to find that satisfaction too. That's just the, the love that flows out of your heart for your child. Um, and then um, and then finally, last thing, this is more of a practical thing. Uh, th- this um, I, it, it is one thing to talk, for me to talk about, find your satisfaction in Christ, find your satisfaction in Christ, right? But it's not just like uh, you just, you know, you just walk out of here and that just happens, you know? You do have to kind of learn how to live in relationship with Christ, like how to trust Christ, like how to pray, how to read your Bible, um, you know, how to relate to God, things like how to trust God. Those are things that you kind of learn. And and, uh, and so one thing I would just throw out there and is like, uh, if you have a sense of insecurity, like I just, I, that sounds really great in theory, but in practice, I have absolutely no idea what this, how to do that. You know, it's easier said than done. I would say that's most of us. Like, please don't be afraid to come to um, to come to like any of the pastors or leaders in our church and say like, I really want to I really want to kind of learn how to find greater satisfaction in Christ. Like that is that's like if you're an insurance salesman, someone calling and being like, Hey, I I need to buy some life insurance. Uh, can you help me? Like you know, it's a layup. People who work at a church love that. You know, we we want to we want we want um, we love that. I've, I've had a kid who's like two kids in the last year who have called me. They're like, Hey, I really want a mature relationship with Jesus. Like my Bible study leaders have. Like, can you teach me? I'm like, Hallelujah. You know. <laughs> Come on down, you know. How does five minutes from now sound? I'll buy your drink. You know. um, uh, your Coca-Cola, sorry. Uh, anyhow, so, so anyhow, all that to say, like, please don't be afraid to, like, seek out some guidance um, on how to do that. We, we are really enthusiastic about helping people with that. That's our heartbeat. So let me pray. And then um, I got two, I got uh, 90 seconds for questions. All right, Jesus, thank you so much that for what you have done to... Um, for what you've done uh, to 
make our access to God possible. And we thank you, Father, that your desire is for us to have satisfied hearts and that you've given us your son for that sake. And uh, teach us what this means. Teach us how to put this into practice. And I pray that it would just overflow into our relationship with our kids. As these persons, you just say amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.